The Secret World Chronicle, a podcast novel series written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jagger. Presenting Season 8, Collision. Collision, Part 5. Written by Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Mercedes Lackey. Do you really think she can do it? Knight asked. She's not leaving us with much choice but to trust her reflexes, Mel said. We don't have time to figure a way past this door. We already used most of our security countermeasures upstairs. Above them, the sound of footsteps were growing louder. And there's that, too, she said. We're going to have company pretty soon now. Damn her, Red cursed. All right, she made the call. We're going to have to play it out. Only two we might be able to take on two. But not if they know we're coming. Those damn energy cannons might pick us off at a distance. And if they're smart, they would just destroy the staircase around us. We need a distraction from up top. Knight, can you throw sound? Silent Knight shook his head. No, I just channel it in concentrated beams. I can make a ruckus above them, but they'll see the blast and know it came from down here. So much for that, Red muttered, and snuck another peek up the shaft. They had descended about halfway. At least their descent had slowed. As they neared the bottom, they were being more cautious. Mel, got any ideas? She didn't answer. She appeared to be lost in thought. Mel, Red nudged her. What? Oh, sorry, she apologized. She reached into her pocket and withdrew her remaining incendiary mini-bombs. She passed them to Red. If you're going to get in close, you'll need these, the last of the firebangs. We don't have the luxury of an ambush this time, so forget the fancier settings. Just press here to set them to explode, then here to activate the magnet and countdown. If you plant it right, you'll get a nice searing detonation right on their armor. Try not to get any on you. Still have to get in close, though, Red frowned. I suppose we could try the doppelganger disguise again. It'll be tight, though. Don't know if I can grow it in time or what our cover story's going to be. We left a lot of dead Kriegers up there to explain our way out of this. No, too risky, Mel agreed. She bit her lip in indecision. Risky. Oh, Lord, I don't know if I'm ready to try something this big. It hurts to even think about it. What are you talking about? Red asked. Something I've been working on, Mel sighed. Something I lost before. Since when do you make with a cryptic? Jeannie asked. If you've got something, share with the class, please. She rewarded him with a soft chuckle. Reaching out, she caressed his face through his thick scarf. Do you trust me? She asked. Red Genie stared at her. Did he trust her? In the short time they had been together, Red found he had been relying on her more and more. What had begun simply as two lonely people finding solace together in bed had grown into... 
Into what, exactly? He had shared more with her than anyone, even Victrix and Bulwark, ever since he had joined Echo. When he needed support, comfort, or just a steady someone to bounce ideas off of, his first instinct was now to go to her. She had a way of cutting through the emotional baggage that could cloud anyone's judgment and get to the heart of the matter. What was important? Looking past pride and fear, past the mundane day-to-day -day trivialities that seemed to have a chokehold on most people, Mel's outlook on life had a way of bringing clarity to all of Red's insecurities. The lady had obviously seen a lot in her time, had suffered through most of it, but she was still here, still kicking, still fighting. She was a part of him now, and if he didn't have her, he simply didn't know what he would do. Do I trust you? the genie said, and marveled as he was struck with the answer. Yeah, I do. Then maybe that'll be enough, she said as she gazed upwards. Haven't really been myself lately. Haven't been able to get things to work right. Maybe all I needed was you. Maybe that's all I've ever needed. She took a breath, held it, and exhaled slowly. Above them, the sounds of footsteps stopped and were replaced by surprised cries of alarm, followed by a barrage of energy cannon fire. Red and Knight exchanged a surprised look and peeked out to witness an impossible sight. High above them, at the very top, Echo forces came streaming into the open shaft and began thundering down the stairs. The descending Kriegers had thrown themselves against the wall, their cannons trained upwards, trying their best to snipe the Echo troops as they came into view without destroying the stairs, their only exit from what was essentially a very deep, smooth pit. The first few shots seemed to find their mark, felling the Echo soldiers in place. One soldier screamed as the blast evaporated half of his chest. He fell over the railing and plummeted straight down the shaft, past the startled Kriegers, only to fade out of existence before hitting the bottom. I'll be damned, Red breathed. You got your illusions back. For a while, actually, Mel grunted, as beads of perspiration began to form on her brow. Only small stuff, so I kept it quiet. I haven't tried anything quite this... big yet. You better get moving. Don't know how long I can keep this going. What are you talking about? I'm not leaving you down. Go! Mel hissed, her eyes locked on her illusion high above. You and Knight, close the distance before they realize we're here before they figure out they're shooting at figments of my imagination. I can't move with you and concentrate. I'll follow when you take them out. Go! Red hesitated and clutched her hand. You start climbing the minute, the minute it's clear. You got it? She nodded, but kept her eyes firmly set on the combat above. Red let go of her hand and turned to Silent Night. You ready? he asked. The armored man nodded as Red pulled off his gloves and then his nano-weave shirt, exposing his arms and torso. Then let's make this quick, Red grunted and sprouted his claws. 
With his sonic dampeners at full power, Knight followed the genie as they dashed up the stairs. Red kept his eyes firmly set on the Kriegers, trusting his radial awareness to lead him to sure footing on the treacherous stairway. Mel's illusion was keeping them busy, and more importantly, focusing their attention up at the top of the open shaft. Her phantom echo warriors screamed at each other and kept out of line of sight of the Kriegers and their deadly energy cannons, firing the occasional blind shot over the railing. They appeared to be pinned down, but their cover fire managed to hold the Kriegers' interest. At full speed, Red and Silent Knight closed the distance in seconds, and they fell upon the first Krieger before he could even register their presence. Knight put on a burst of speed and hit the Thulean low around the knees, knocking him to the ground. The guard fell in surprise, his legs swept out from under him. Before he could raise his arm cannon, Red leapt over Knight and came down on the Krieger's helmet. The genie reared back, noting a thin cleft where the nose guard met the helmet's visor, and struck. His claws tore through the slim opening, and he fought down a surge of revulsion as his fingertips tore through bone, flesh, and gray matter. The other Krieger, noting the sudden silence, looked back at them and staggered back in alarm. Red ripped his claws loose from the now limp Thulean guard, and as he shot forward, he heard a buzzing crescendo behind him as night ceased his noise dampening and ramped up his sonic blast. The second Thulean was now clearly audible, spewing curses as he too raised his energy cannon and leveled a blast directly at Red's heart. With a shout, Knight battered Red to the side with his free hand and caught the energy blast high on his shoulder as his own sonic discharge slammed into the guard, throwing the Krieger back against the wall, where he bounced with a clatter of metal against stone and fell to his knees on the narrow stairway. Red caught himself against the wall, righted himself, and continued his advance, risking a quick look back at Silent Night. The big man had fallen backwards, exposed circuitry sizzling and spewing out sparks from his damaged shoulder. He flailed like a turtle on its back, but at least he was moving. He waved Red on, struggling to remove his more traditional Echo sidearm from its holster at his side. Red flew forward, pressing his advantage, but the Krieger had recovered from Knight's concussive bolt and was ready for him. Despite the bulk of his armor, the Thule improved nimble and moved with surprising speed. He deflected Red's attack with a quick sweep of his cannon arm and countered with a brutal jab that caught the genie a solid blow to the stomach. Red grunted, fell back a moment, and groaned as he felt a building pain in his abdomen. Oh man, that's really going to hurt in a minute. It had been a mistake to assume all the armored Kriegers had traded agility for near invulnerability. Apparently, it was still possible to dodge and weave while wearing all that metal. For the most part, they didn't need to. Their energy cannons were enough to take down most opposition from a distance. And the energy cannon was still Red's biggest concern, so he advanced again, albeit warily, and struggled with the concept of keeping close enough to prevent the guard from simply gunning him down and somehow getting through his defenses with his bare hands. He opted for misdirection. He led with his right, which was immediately parried by the guard's cannon arm, and followed with a piercing strike with his left-hand claws with unerring precision at the cleft in the Thulean's nosepiece. The Thulean deflected the blow with a contemptuous head bob, let the claws deflect down and away from his face, and immediately caught Red's wrist with his free hand. He turned, twisting Red's arm, and the genie was forced to follow with a sideways somersault, 
or risk the Krieger simply snapping the bones in his forearm. Red landed on his feet and flailed instinctively at the armored hand that held his wrist in a vice-like grip. The Krieger howled in pain as Red's claws pierced their way through the flexible fabric at the wrist and let the genie go. Got him. He's not going to be grabbing me anytime soon. Still, he's damn quick. And if I'm not careful, he can still bash me to death. Red cursed as he leapt back, dodging two massive overhand strikes. The Krieger had apparently read his mind, accepting his obvious advantages of strength and a near-impervious shell, opting to simply crush his foe with his arms. He raised his arms again, his murderous intentions clear, when a few rounds from Knight's sidearm ricocheted harmlessly off his torso. Red looked back. Silent Knight held the gun with a shaky hand. Now sitting upright, his whole body actually twitched, and it was clear that the damage to his suit was more severe than Red had previously thought. Knight tried to come to his feet, but his arm jerked again, one knee buckled at the joint, and he fell with a clatter to his side. The Thulian watched Knight thrash and struggle, and leveled the barrel of his cannon at Silent Knight's head. Hello, Red snarled, knocking the cannon to the side. The deflected energy blast tore away at the guardrail, leaving an enormous gap. Red slapped at Hello, Red snarled, knocking the cannon to the side. The deflected energy blast tore away at the guardrail, leaving an enormous gap. Red slapped at the side of the Krieger's helmet. Rude, he mocked. You've already got a dance partner. Dance with the one that brung you, moron. That drew the Krieger's attention away from Silent Night. Red was still too close for the Krieger to use his arm cannon as a blasting weapon, but not too close for him to use it as a club. Red ducked under the first swing, but couldn't dodge the second. He managed to catch it on the shoulder instead of his head, but it still hurt like hell, and the follow-up to his ribs wasn't any better. Red backed down a couple of steps, taking him out of range of a third blow, then went for broke. He made a diving tackle at the Krieger. The Thulian dodged it easily, but Red had been expecting that. He shot past, his hands already up in front of him. As soon as they touched the wall, Red folded his body up, turning his head to spot the Krieger. Shoving with all of his might, he sprung from the wall. His legs hit the Krieger in the lower back before he was even fully extended, throwing his entire body weight and as much strength as he could muster into the blow. It worked. The Thulian's legs buckled, he overbalanced, and went through the missing section of the guardrail into the pit. The momentum also drove Red over the side of the stairs, but he managed to grab the broken railing with both hands, at about the same time that he felt an armored ham clamp down on his leg. Well, that's just great, Red hissed, his hands struggling to keep a grip on the walkway. He glanced down and saw the Krieger holding onto him for dear life with his injured hand, blood now flowing freely from the tear Red had made with his claws. The other hand, fully enveloped in the cannon's chassis, was a blunt instrument, lacking even simple articulation necessary to maintain a grip. The Krieger looked down and flinched when he noticed the drop, easily a hundred feet to the bottom of the shaft. Desperately, he began to rock back and forth. Oh, no, you don't, Red snarled, and fought the Krieger's movements by flailing his legs. The Krieger screamed, his grip on Red's leg slipping as pain erupted in his slashed wrist. 
wenn sie nur schwiegen für die Trepp zu denken, würde ich getten lassen. The Thulian looked up, growling. Du bluffst. No bluff, Red croaked. He took a deep breath and let his right hand fall away from the walkway. He gasped as he tightened his grip with his left, stifling a scream as the weight of both of them threatened to tear his arm from its socket. He held his right arm tight against his chest, his fingers gripping his scarf as a child might clutch a security blanket. He glared down at the Krieger defiantly. Your move, shithead. Bist du verrückt? the Thulian demanded, his body now still, his visor locked in horror on Red's furious eyes. Despite the pain and the brutal strain of keeping his fingers locked on the metal walkway, Red erupted in shaky laughter. <laughs> Seriously, I have to get that printed on some business cards, he chuckled. Genok, Serkut, dann sterben wir bitte, the Krieger said, raising his cannon. Red stopped laughing and pulled his free hand away from the folds of his scarf, now clutching one of Mel's blinking incendiary bombs. He flicked his wrist and let the button-sized explosive drop and latch onto the Krieger's helmet with a magnetic hum. The guard hissed in surprise and shouted in alarm as he realized what Red had done. He raised his cannon higher, leveling it at the genie's chest. Red saw a blue light begin to glow down the length of the barrel and heard a dull voltaic whine as the cannon ramped up. He kicked at the gun, in reflex, as the bomb detonated in a flash of light and an eruption of condensed plasma. The Krieger was killed instantly as his face seemed to simply implode, his grip on Red's leg falling away and his cannon, knocked away by Red's boot, discharging its payload into the wall. He didn't even have the opportunity to scream. So Red screamed instead, as searing hot plasma splashed onto his legs, immediately burning away several layers of skin and gouging divots into his flesh. The Krieger's lifeless, smoking body flew back with tremendous force from the cannon blast, shot down the pit and collided with the fragile stairwell, neatly shearing an entire section of the stairs from the wall. Together, the Krieger and a good thirty feet of the stairway fell the remainder of the shaft to the bottom, where they had left Mel. Mel, take cover! Red screamed. She didn't answer, and before Red could shout again, the bottom of the shaft erupted in an enormous flash of light and the ear-splitting boom of an explosion. Red averted his eyes, and when he opened them, he saw the base of the pit now awash in flames, and thick black smoke start to climb up the pit towards them. Mel! Red screamed. Red team had lost all but two of the Black Snake RPG teams after the Kriegers had made a renewed push to isolate them. The last two RPG teams were pinned down, unable to effectively employ their munitions, unless they wanted to die, that is. Untermensch was down. A grenade that had been armed by one of the Black Snake operatives, who had died mid-throw after his head was taken off by an energy blast, had rolled next to Red Team's position. Untermensch had been the first to spot the danger. He had shoved Mamona behind him, then took nearly the entire blast to his body, shielding his comrades. At first he looked like he was dead. 
The Nana Weave had stopped some of the fragments, but not all of them. Blood flowed from the holes in his uniform, and his face was in tatters. A quick check for his pulse revealed that he was in fact not dead. His visible wounds were already starting to close, his healing factor kicking in. Since the Kriegers were too far down the street for her powers to affect them, Mamona was in charge of guarding Georgie and checking on his status. Bear was no longer cursing or laughing, only firing his PPSH in short bursts or throwing a grenade. Molotov was similarly grim. Their advance had stalled, and there were more and more Kriegers piling in to take their lives. Kanjar, Molotov, get your teams in under the spot I've highlighted. Move now! The spot Vix had highlighted was a building that had had its front façade blown off, but was otherwise intact. It actually looked as if the front had been a façade. The sides and the roof were massive, but the rubble in front showed the wall now gone had been a quarter of the thickness of the rest. Murdoch, there, smoke! Molotov let his rifle hang by his side as he fished around in one of the pouches of his vest, retrieving a smoke grenade. John and Pavel did the same. Murdoch, northern side of the street. Bear, you and I towards the other group of fascista. Nodding, John pulled the pin on his grenade. He leaned around the corner of their cover only long enough to throw the grenade. As he watched it arc through the air, it started to deploy dense white smoke before it landed in front of the group of Kriegers coming from the center of the city. Blue streaks shot through the growing cloud as it thickened. Some unarmored Kriegers, growing bold, tried to dash through the smoke, John dropped all three with quick bursts from his rifle. Kanjar, we have deployed a screen. When it has set, we will be moving to rally point. Cover us, we will cover you. Understood. Once the smoke had completely blocked any sight of the attacking Kriegers, Molotov signaled for the team to move out. As Mamona gaped in shock, Sarah picked up Unter in her arms as if he weighed nothing, and began her run at Molotov's signal. They kept their spacing, making sure no one on the team was closer than five paces. Actinic bolts of energy sliced through the air around them, scorching the street and surrounding buildings in narrow misses. After doing a quick visual check to make sure his team had made it, Molotov contacted Kanjar. We are being in place. Be bringing the wounded. Moji. Sarah said, as she laid Unter down gently. I can bring one, perhaps more. She looked around, and John saw that her eyes blazed that featureless gold. I know where they are. Go, and quickly. Molotov turned from her, raising his rifle in the direction of the enemy. Ganjar, we have Angel coming to assist you with transporting casualties. Hold fire, repeat, hold fire. Sarah spread her wings and was gone before John could say anything. Red team started firing steadily into the smoke at either end of the street, making sure that the Kriegers were keeping their heads down. No more than thirty seconds later, and she was back, with a black snake murk cradled in her arms. John was already waiting. She transferred the young man to John and was away again back with a second in the time it took him to put his burden down towards the back of the room. A second transfer, and she was away for the third time, just as the first of Kanjar's men came stumbling into their cover. 
She managed two more by the time all of the mercs had joined them. She was panting at this point, winded but smiled a little at John. They were foolish enough to use their... their heat-seeing? When the smoke came up. They will be quite blinded for a little while longer. Her eyes had gone back to blue, with that gold flickering in the depths. Overwatch, Molotov said. We are in position, those of us still alive. Please advise. John, hand on ground. Chop, chop. John complied immediately, stripping off a glove and pressing his palm to the floor. Everybody else stand away from the front. And three, two, one. It was not unlike an earthquake. The pavement split as the rock of the mountains erupted in a ragged but climbable slope, shaking everyone who managed to be standing right off his or her feet and filling in the front of the building where the wall had once been. Vicky didn't quite send it all the way to the roof. There were still firing ports, or places that could be used as firing ports. But the Thulians were going to have the devil's own time getting at them. Okay. There was no doubt Vicky was exhausted. Overwatch to all teams. That's all the magic you get today. Thanks for the Alamo, Vic. Let's hope it turns out better this time around. John glanced around. They had perhaps thirty people altogether, Black Snake and CCCP. Almost everyone was wounded in some way, ranging from the minor to the severe. One bit of good news was that Unter was starting to come around. His face was still covered in blood, but the underlying wounds were mostly gone. Shit's gonna break loose any minute. I just needed to get you guys under cover until it does. Kut Kiolad, Kanjar swore, her eyes huge at the sight of the earthen barrier. I do not wish to know where in the many hills or heavens you people recruit. I should say, our friend is very good at miracles, Sarah said mildly as she helped one of the black snake mercs bandage another. And I know you have seen this. She waved her hand at the earth and rock barrier. Before. How did you... Kanja cut off what she was going to say. Never mind. I should know better than to question a diva. It is one thing to see such a thing. It is another to be knocked off the feet by it. They ran out of time to discuss it any further. The smoke had begun to clear, and the Kriegers were advancing. The next few minutes were filled with gunfire, explosions, shouted orders, and occasionally screams. John was startled while changing his magazine for his rifle when Unter thumped against the barrier next to him. Most of the blood had been cleaned off of his face, but he still looked like ten miles of bad road. Georgie grunted, spitting into the dirt. No time for napping when there are still fascistas to kill. John pulled back on the charging handle for his rifle, chambering around. You have your pick of him, old man. More than enough to go around.
silent knight heaved and pulled Red up to safety on what was left of the stairway. Red peered down the open shaft, but the smoke continued to rise around them, obscuring their vision. He screamed down to Mel again, but she didn't answer. You're hurt, Knight said. Red glanced at the armored man. His open chest plate was now a mess of loose wires. Red nodded in understanding. Knight had disconnected his power source. It had stopped the malfunctioning armor from spasming, allowing Knight to regain his footing, but had rendered it useless in the process. Without power running to the mechanized chassis, Silent Knight had not only lost his sonic abilities, but was now burdened with about seventy pounds of clunky steel. You're one to talk, Red scoffed, and winced as his scorched legs continued to burn in pain. Don't worry about me. The heat cauterized the wounds. I'm healing up as we speak. You're the one who's leaking. Here, take this. Red reached up and unwrapped the scarf around his head. Silent Knight shuddered. Well, the genie couldn't blame him. He knew that his face was smooth, hairless, alien, lacking anything even remotely human except for a thin slit for a mouth, a pair of nostrils at the end of a brief stub for a nose, and lidless eyes. Is that... is that your real face? Of course not, Red replied, binding his scarf around Knight's injured shoulder. You're looking at my base foundation. Don't have time for anything more right now. Try not to think about it. Think of something else. Like how we're going to get down there and get Mel. Genie, we've got minutes left to get out of here before Scope blows the place. Do you really think we have time to? Yeah, minutes, Red interrupted. So I'm not going to waste time arguing with you. I'm not leaving without her. You can stay and help or you can go. Make up your mind right now. Knight stared at him for a brief moment, then sighed with a reluctant shake of his head. He reached inside his chest plate and tugged at a latch. His armor fell apart, the pieces dropping to the parapet with a clatter. Underneath, he was clad in nano-weave, his only concession to the standard Echo uniform a bright yellow and red crest emblazoned on his shoulder. It depicted a lionized coat of arms under a simple fist pulsing within concentric circles of power, perhaps a keepsake from his previous time as an independent street vigilante. Knight removed his helmet and let it fall with the rest of his armor. Red had never seen him out of the armor. He looked... normal. Average height, with a slightly athletic build, he wasn't as ripped and wolf-lean as Murdoch, or as buff as Bulwark. His skin was paler than it should have been, a byproduct of spending so much time in his armor, probably. A boyish, if plain, face. Messy blonde hair and brown eyes. The only thing unusual about him were his cheekbones. They looked as if they belonged on a Grecian statue. He looked young, but the eyes told a different story. Those were a pair of eyes that had seen too much. Then again, Red reflected, at this point, they probably all had eyes like that. Now he was left only with the implanted tech magic hybrid equipment Vicky had given him. 
not an in-ear speaker but a direct implant to his auditory nerve, modified so that he could turn it on and off. And not one but two, one in each ear. Silent Night was death, which was the only reason why he could operate that suit of his, which would have made a normal person deaf within moments. Thanks to Overwatch 2, he could hear again. It was a good suit, he said, his voice having that odd flat cast to it that the speech of the deaf, or formerly deaf, tended to had. It lasted longer than my previous upgrades, but it's toast now. Be able to move faster without it. Knight reached down to retrieve his sidearm and gun belt from the suit, and then strapped them in place. So, what's your plan? Red Genie peered down the shaft again, but the rising smoke was, if anything, even thicker now. He hissed as the smoke and soot struck his eyes, making them water, and took a second to grow some eyelids. We need some rope, he said. Don't have any. Seriously? Red scoffed. What kind of armored adventuring hero doesn't carry rope, a grappling hook, and a ten-foot pole with him? He gave their surroundings a quick once-over. There was nothing in sight, nothing they could use to lower themselves down to Mel. You'd think anal-retentive Nazis would have some sense of safety regulations, Knight said. Rolled up fire hoses at regular intervals in the walls or something like that. You see the size of the city? Red asked, still looking about desperately for anything resembling rope. You gotta figure they ran out of fun somewhere. <laughs> Probably blew their wad on heroic monuments, or... He paused. You just thought of something, didn't you? I did, the genie said, biting his lip. From the look on your face, I'm not going to like it, am I? It's a little weird, and I've never tried it before, the genie admitted. He took a breath to calm himself and extended his left hand out to Silent Night. Just go with it. Red grew a new set of claws, and Knight took a step back in apprehension as they slowly flowed out towards him, razor tips first. I don't see how jabbing me in the face with your finger knives is going to help, Knight stammered. Wait for it, Red seethed and grunted as the claws suddenly went limp and dangled from his fingertips. They continued to grow, and Knight, seizing on the idea, grasped them gingerly. He wound them around the exposed railing and anchored the growing rope around his waist. Flesh rope, Knight said and chuckled. <laughs> Brilliant! And... Ew. Yeah, Red agreed and looked over the side again. You got me? Knight pressed himself back to the wall and nodded. Go. But are you sure this will hold? Like I said, first time. Say a prayer, will you? Knight nodded, and Red rolled off of the exposed stairway. He swung in place for a moment, testing the tensile strength of his skin. He was putting it through tremendous strain, no doubt about it. He relaxed, willed it to be thicker, tougher, and after another calming breath, willed it to grow. 
he started to descend, surprised at how easy it was, and gambled with a few fast growth spurts. The skin held, and soon Red was rappelling down the shaft, screaming Mel's name again. He closed his eyes and took a deep breath just before piercing the heart of the smoke. While his eyes were useless here, he concentrated with his other senses, especially his radial awareness. He swung about, probing around him for any movement, anything that suggested Mel was trapped there in the billowing heat. And the heat was intense, coupled with the rising soot. It was like navigating through a sauna in a blackout. He could barely see more than a foot in any direction. It only got worse as he descended closer to the flames. The blaze was masking more and more of his surroundings. He was getting too close. It was getting too hot, and he didn't dare open his mouth to scream out to Mel again. He needed to find her soon, before he ran out of breath, before he fell too far into the flames to pull himself out, before he taxed his rope of skin beyond itself, where the heat and tension would eventually singe and tear away his lifeline. He was getting dizzy. His lungs began to burn. He needed to take a breath. And it wasn't just his lungs. His feet felt like they were now dancing just inches above the flames. He was swimming in grit, and every pore in his skin was screaming, clogged with grime and burnt ashes. It was playing havoc with his radial awareness. Pretty soon, it would be impossible to sense anything around him. He hadn't considered that before, trusting in his senses to make his way through the smoke. He had simply jumped in, to save the girl, to be the hero. To be the hero. I'm really doing this again, the hero thing. Guess I have been for a while now. Guess it's time to stop denying it. Maybe it'll stick this time. Maybe I want it to. Maybe I should get my head out of my ass, get Mel, and get out of here before I die. He was honest enough with himself to admit he was starting to panic. He tried to tell himself it was perfectly reasonable to panic, seeing as he was suffocating in extreme heat over a bonfire while swinging on a fragile rope made from his own epidermis, but it didn't seem to help. Instead, it was the final push, and just as he prepared to swing up and start climbing up himself back to Silent Night, he felt a hand grasp his, and then thin, shaking legs wrap themselves around his waist. It was Mel. Without opening his eyes, without saying a word, he knew it was her. Just the touch of her. There wasn't time for anything that would have done that moment justice. The relief of knowing she was alive, the sheer joy of feeling her against him. They didn't have the luxury of words or even a simple kiss. So he stole a moment, just a moment, to give her a quick squeeze before motioning her up. She seemed to understand and began climbing up his rope. He felt her feet release from his shoulders and he began to climb up after her. There was a strange and growing disconnect in his mind, which Red understood to be one of the final stages of asphyxiation before losing consciousness. He was on the verge of blacking out when he realized the heat wasn't as alarming, the smoke wasn't as dense or tenacious, and he drew in a sudden, desperate breath. Opening his eyes, he saw Mel climbing above him and felt a surge in his arms, a need to be next to her, that drove him forwards. 
they dragged themselves onto the broken stairway, hauled up by silent night, and took a few moments to cough uncontrollably, lying precariously close to the edge. I'm sure you two could use a breather, Silent Knight said. But really, I think we're pressing our luck with that. Bum! Mel screamed, nodding in agreement. She coughed and sprang to her feet. How much time? A minute. Maybe less, Red croaked. I think this would be... Less talking, more running! Mel screamed and darted up the stairs. Red and Silent Night ran after her. There was no grace in their flight, just the certainty that if they stumbled and fell, they were lost. There was some concern in the planning stages, Red remembered, that the explosives were too small. No matter what the engineers said, no one could quite grasp how the slim charges could possibly deliver the punch they needed to take out a power generator, much less the safety margin of an entire building. Red recalled how he had examined one of the charges, had thoughtfully turned it over in his hands, and the only question he had asked the technicians. What's this bomb called again? The Inferno II, one of the technicians had answered. We lost the first prototype and its specs during the invasion. We were able to reverse engineer this model. It's not as compact as the first, and you'll need to place multiple charges, but our simulations suggest an equal payload as the first, assuming you get the detonator sequence sync right. Red had nodded, feigning only a passing interest in the device. Good name, was all he had said, before handing it carefully back. So they ran, and while Mel and Silent Knight probably didn't realize the extent of the Inferno's blast radius, Red didn't think it was something he was ever likely to forget. He urged them on, and as they arrived at the top landing, they heard a shrill alarm ring out beneath them. Go! Red shouted. Countdown started! They barreled through the portal, through the connecting hall, and skidded to a stop by the outer door. Red slammed into the portal lock and was rewarded with a steely hiss as the round portal slowly rolled open. He ushered Mel and Knight out first, and they ran back out onto the streets of Ultima Thule, right through the surprised ranks of the assembled Thulians stationed outside. Thus? Look out! Coming through! Red yelled as they broke through the ranks and ran screaming for cover. The battalion guards watched them go, stunned, until their leader recovered his wits and barked an order. As one, the Thulians raised their cannons and took aim at the fleeing Echo operatives. Jason! Dive! Red screamed, and shoved Mel and Silent Knight into a recessed stairwell at the top of the nearby alley. As they rolled and banged down the concrete steps, they heard the whine and whoomph as a few arm cannons went off but they were drowned out as the earth itself seemed to buckle and groan from a massive detonation beneath them. A flash and a scream caused John to flinch, turning away from the barrier momentarily. When he looked back, he saw that a fourth of it had been decimated on the left corner, one of the Thulian grenades more than likely. That's going to be a problem. With a weakness in their cover, the Kriegers could just chip away at it until they had nothing left keeping them from storming in the building. Shit! Incoming! One of the Black Snake operatives pointed. 
It was unnecessary, however. Several squads of Kriegers were moving quickly through the smoke, armored troopers leading with energy shields, while unarmored infantry followed behind them. More troopers were still firing from the rear, trying to pin Red Team and the Black Snake Mercs down while their comrades advanced. Everyone was firing as fast and as accurately as they could. John was doing his best to hit the troopers with his flames, but there was just too much incoming fire for him to line up a good shot. A single grenade bounced through the broken section of the barrier. Scooping it up before anyone else could react, Molotov threw it out the door as hard as he could. Chance had it that it landed next to one of the advancing Thulian squads. The explosion of Thulian energy ripped the lead trooper in half, while also killing most of the rest behind him. They're going to make it inside. John looked over at Unter. The old Soviet returned the look, then shrugged. I would be feeling sorry for them if they weren't such svinya. Let us make them reconsider joining us. And then Vix shouted a warning. Holy shit, it's coming down! At that moment, there was a deep and distant thud, one that shook the pavement and the rocks of Vicky's barrier exactly like an earthquake, as well as being a sound. And then... The sky exploded silently. If you had taken the northern lights, hooked them up to the average rock concert's effects rig, and then juiced it with Niagara Falls, you'd have gotten something that was, perhaps, a tenth of the light show going on in the sky for the next minute or so. The reddish curtain that had arced over the top of this valley rippled and heaved and danced. Meanwhile, there was a clear wedge-shaped section that had just disappeared, letting the blue of the normal sky shine through, the edges of the wedge wavering and surging, and sending tendrils out as if they were trying to join up again. Everyone was transfixed by the mayhem going on above them, even the Kriegers. That went on silently for a minute, maybe two, but not more than three. And then the fun started. The entire canopy roiled as massive bolts of electricity began to arc across the sky for thirty seconds more. There were several more explosions. And then... The shield vanished. The reddish hue that had fallen over everything was replaced by the normal clear light of the Himalayas with a beautiful cloudless sky overhead. And a chill wind swept through the entire valley in a brief hurricane rush, dropping the ambient temperature by at least 60 degrees all at once. The fighting started up again, once the impact of what had happened sank in for everyone. The Kriegers weren't looking ashore of themselves, however. Many weren't acting as coordinated as before, nowhere near as bold. John briefly saw some of the commanders at the back cajoling and even striking their subordinates, urging them forward. Overwatch to all teams. Well done. Objective achieved. Dig in. Danger close fire missions commencing now. Well, the Alamo didn't have that, but I'm sure as hell glad we have it. John then did his best to make himself as small as possible behind the barrier as the artillery shells began impacting among the Kriegers. You have been listening to Collision 
Season 8 of the Secret World Chronicle podcast novel series. Season 8 is written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jaguer. Music is Exciting Trailer by Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com. The Secret World Chronicle podcast is narrated and produced by Veronica Jaguer and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License. The fourth book, Collision, is available in print and ebook in December 2014 from the amazing people at Bayon Books. For more information about the series or to listen to earlier seasons, check out www.secretworldchronicle.com. Want to chat with the authors and fellow SWC fans? Join the Secret World Chronicle group on Facebook. And, as always, thank you for listening.